Listener Production. We may say to ourselves, I don't want to be a perfectionist, but deep down, we are reluctant to give up the perfectionism because we also know that it helped us get to where we are, that it also helps us be more successful. And if we're able to distinguish between the two and say, well, I want to still be responsible. Yeah, I want to still be hardworking and ambitious and pay attention to details. What I want to let go of is this obsession with failure, this fear of deviating from the straight and narrow. That's what I want to let go of. Then we're in a much better position. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe. And this is Fast Track. Most of us know about perfectionism, those unrealistic high standards and goals we can set for ourselves, the highly critical voice in our heads and the relentless hard time we give ourselves as a result of not being perfect. Perfectionism has been noted as a real cause of mental health issues amongst workers generally, and it's reported as being on the rise. So what is it, and is it a strength or a derailer at work? My next guest is best known for creating and teaching the most popular class at Harvard University on positive psychology, and more specifically, happiness. And he's a world leader and expert on the science of positive psychology. But it's his work on perfectionism, and more specifically his book from 2009 called The Pursuit of Perfect, How to Stop Chasing Perfectionism and Start Living a Richer, Happier Life, that I want to focus on today. Tal Ben-Shahar is a best-selling author, an incredible teacher, a PhD in organisational behaviour, and an expert on the psychology of leadership. He consults to leaders around the globe, and his books have been translated in over 30 languages. He's got a reputation as being a great human and an exceptional storyteller. What a pleasure to welcome you to Fast Track today, Tal. Thank you for your time. It's great to be here. Thank you, Margie. So your career's been built on a pursuit of happiness and the positive psychology studies and the brilliant teaching that you do. As I said, I want to focus on this idea of the pursuit of perfect. This book that I know you wrote in 2009 walks off my shelf. I hand it to clients regularly and they say it's transformational for them. Can you describe perfectionism? Yeah, you know, when we talk about perfectionism, we can talk about two types of perfectionism psychologists talk about, which is first uh, adaptive perfectionism, and the second is maladaptive perfectionism. So adaptive perfectionism is about ambition. It's about being responsible. It's about hard work. It's about attention to details. This is adaptive perfectionism by and large. Maladaptive perfectionism is the fear of failure, the obsessive fear of failure that prevents us from taking action. It leads to avoidance rather than to coping. And it's this fear of failure that is harmful. It's harmful for business success. It's also harmful for relationships because we tend to be uh, defensive, fearing uh, criticism or disagreement. We reject any and all help and potential, therefore, for growth. Now, 
the reason why it's so important to distinguish adaptive from maladaptive perfectionism is because very often we may say to ourselves, I don't want to be a perfectionist, but deep down, certainly on the subconscious, sometimes on the conscious level, we are reluctant to give up the perfectionism because we also know that it helped us uh, get to where we are, that it also helps us be more successful. And if we're able to distinguish between the two and say, well, I want to still be responsible. Yeah, I want to still be um, hardworking and ambitious and pay attention to details. What I want to let go of is this obsession with failure, this fear of deviating from the straight and narrow. That's what I want to let go of. Then we're in a much better position to keep the former and let go of the latter. You wrote The Pursuit of Perfect in 2009, and it's still a bestseller. Why are we so drawn to getting things right and pursuing perfect? What are the reasons for us wanting our lives to be perfect? Yeah, so, you know, the, the reasons are, or some of the reasons are natural, evolutionary. You know, we're rewarded for success. Uh, we pay a price for, for failure. So that's part of the reason. However, that doesn't account for the deep and harmful fear of failure. And that comes a great deal as a result of education. Mm. You know, what we're often presented with, whether it's on uh, magazine covers or fairy tales or partial pictures of role models, what we are provided with is perfection. Perfection in terms of how things look or feel or are experienced or are achieved. And we want that too, because we see how that form of perfectionism is admired. Again, whether it's the magazine cover or whether it's the success of the great leader. And because we don't see the full picture or the real picture, we are uh, misled to thinking that that is real, that that is possible, and therefore that is desirable. So we desire the perfect, we desire the flawless. And I could imagine that social media is, again, taking our attention very heavily in that way as well. The sense of even in our field, the guru, the perfect person who's the cult of the great leader or the hero CEO, and they're not real, are they? They're not, or rather they are real, but only partially so. Because, yeah, we all have great days and, and, and great accomplishments and days where we're extremely happy. We also have days when we are depressed and, and feeling down and fall down and fail. Mm. What we need is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth rather than partial truth. I have met people who believe their perfectionism is a strength rather than an obstacle. What do you say to that? That part of it is absolutely right. You know, if by perfectionism, they mean the fact that they are responsible and hardworking and ambitious, and you can count on them, then by all means, you know, keep that. This is what makes you who you are in the most positive sense. But if uh, perfectionism is, is also your inability to accept criticism, and if it manifests itself in your running away from challenges, that's, that is something you'd better do without. You've just mentioned earlier adaptive and maladaptive. And in the book, you talk about healthy and unhealthy. Are they the same relationships there? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, you can talk about adaptive versus maladaptive perfectionism. You can talk about healthy versus unhealthy perfectionism. In the book, I also talk about perfectionism versus optimalism. Yeah, this is my next question. Yeah, I'm dying for you to share and explain this concept of being an optimalist. Yeah, so, so the reason why I picked the term optimalism, obviously from the word optimal, because what is optimal? Optimal is best possible given the constraints of reality. So as I said, I'm all for striving for excellence and for trying your utmost at the same time, recognizing that there are limitations, recognizing that there will be shortcomings. And you know, Margie, I, I'd love to share this study with you. It was conducted by my mentor, Alan Langer. She's a professor at Harvard. What she did was the following. So she invited science students, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, to the experiment. And she told them about great scientists, about Nobel Prize winners. And she told them about their uh, accomplishments, their, their achievements, and all that they did throughout their career. And at the end, after she told them their story of success, she asked these young students who were you know, top students, smart, capable, she asked them, so do you think uh, you could do what they did or have a you know, similar uh, career or trajectory to theirs? And the answer was mostly no chance. I mean, the, the, these people, you know, they're, they're larger than life figures. And then she took a second group of science students, same profile in terms of grades, in terms of abilities. And she told them about the exact same scientists, Nobel Prize winners, extremely successful scientists. She told them about the exact same ones, only she told them the whole story, which was, uh, and you know, before, you know, he won the Nobel Prize. He had failed uh, this exam, uh, this qualifying exam, and he was rejected from this university. And he ran all these experiments that didn't yield any results. Uh, and she told them, in other words, the full story. And at the end, she asked them the same question. So do you see yourself you know, achieving what they achieved, their accomplishments, their trajectory? And they were much more likely to say, yeah, maybe. You know, I, I could do, I know what I, what, what I need to do to get there. In other words, when she showed them reality, it was attainable. When she showed them just that magazine cover of that Nobel Prize winner, then it was unreal, unattainable. And that is the impact of perfectionism. When all we, we accept is that final perfect Photoshop picture, then we're limiting our capacities, we're limiting our potential. What a brilliant story and so simple yet powerful in its application to the impact of our belief about our future and our hope for our future, just in the colour of a, a full picture versus the perfect picture. Yeah, and you know, this very much applies to raising children, of course, or to teaching mm. or to managing, because as parents, we want to tell our children, you know, stories of success and when things go well, whether it's about ourselves or others. And we also want to share with them stories of failures and insecurity and falling down and getting up again or falling down and staying down, if that was the case. The same with, uh, with our students. You know, what students need is not the, you know, a perfect teacher. 
who knows it all and has always known it all. They need a human being as a role model. And the same with uh, leadership, with management. So, you know, when we talk about the importance of managers being vulnerable or expressing vulnerability, it's important specifically for the purpose of helping their employees deal with their natural inclination towards perfectionism. Because if my role model has made mistakes, has fallen down, then, well, maybe it's okay for me to do the same. Carl, you say in the book, perfectionism and optimalism are not distinct ways of being an either or choice, but rather they coexist in each person. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, um, I end the book. I, well, I started the book by, by, by sharing my personal story and, and, and being a perfectionist. And I end the book with the sentence, uh, my name is Tal and I'm a perfectionist. And the reason why I do that is because, uh, you know, once a perfectionist, always a perfectionist. And uh, it's important to be vigilant, just like alcoholics remain vigilant about keeping clean. So perfectionists need to do that. Why? Back in the 1930s and 40s, Karen Horney, who was a student of Freud and then broke away from him, wrote a great deal about neuroses. And what she wrote about neuroses is that they never go away. They can weaken, but they never go away. It can weaken, but it never goes away. So I have perfectionist tendencies. You know, if I have an argument still, my automatic mode is to show why I'm right. If someone criticizes me, it's to show why they're wrong. However, Enough years have gone by and I've, you know, I've written a book about it and thought about it a lot over, over the years that I stop myself in just about every, not in every case, but in just about every case, I stop myself and I say, okay, listen first, open up. This is an opportunity for learning, but that's not my natural response. My natural re- reaction rather than action, my natural reaction is to, you know, the, the best form of defense is attack, to shoot back when I feel that I'm being shot at. And even just thinking that I'm shot at rather than someone who's reaching out to help me, that is the mindset of the perfectionist. Right. That's really interesting for me because I I hadn't drawn the parallels between the guarded or the defensiveness and perfectionism and being right. So this awareness for you gives you a choice and now you have strategies to think about optimalism and learning as opposed to being right or defending self. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we don't really leave it behind. That's what you're saying. We don't leave it behind, but we create alternative pathways. And by the way, not just metaphorically speaking, literally in our brains, we create alternative neural pathways that allow us to to choose, to choose differently. So you also describe fault finding and benefit finders. Can you explain these terms for me? Sure. So there is a quote by Henry David Thoreau back from, you know, 1840, where he says, the fault finder can find fault even in paradise. Fault finding is about looking uh, for the empty part of the glass, looking at what is not working. A benefit finder is the opposite, looking at the full part of the glass, looking at what is working and appreciating it. One of the antidotes 
to perfectionism is benefit finding. Why? Because a perfectionist naturally tends to be a fault finder. Why? Because if I want to constantly be on the straight and narrow, if I want a picture perfect existence, I will always be on the lookout for deviations. I will always be on the lookout for faults. And that will become uh, automatic. You know, waking up in the morning and starting to scan the environment for what's not working, whether it's in my emotions, whether it's in my partner, whether it's in my colleagues, whether it's in the world. Whereas if I can change the ratio, not eliminate fault finding, because I'm not talking about being detached from reality. I'm talking about being connected to reality. So if we can find some sort of a balance or a healthier ratio between identifying faults and identifying merits or virtues or benefits, that would be a great deal healthier. My favorite word in English is the word appreciate. Uh, the word appreciate has two meanings. The first meaning of the word appreciate is to say thank you for something. And that's a nice thing to do. It's, uh, you know, Cicero called gratitude the mother of all virtues. But there is a second meaning to the word appreciate. And that is to grow in value. You know, so the money in the bank appreciates or the economy appreciates. The two meanings of the word appreciate are connected. Why? Because when I appreciate the good, the good appreciates. When I appreciate the good in my life, when I appreciate the benefits of things, when I see the full part of the glass, that full part, that benefit actually grows and I have more of it. Unfortunately, the opposite is also the case. As a fault finder, if I do not appreciate the good, if I take things for granted, then the good depreciates and we have less of it. And this applies in business. It applies in the context of a romantic relationship. It applies when you look at a nation as a whole. Optimism, benefit finding, when it's connected to reality, I'm not talking detachment from reality, but healthy, connected benefit finding leads to appreciation. It leads to growth. The realistic optimist and the appreciation and benefit finding are all really connected and simple words that we can remember to help us with that discipline of managing what can feel like a, a sort of a pull in society to be perfect. Our attention is drawn to that. And I, I think when you mentioned exams, pass, fail, rather than not yet, and the sort of way that we are educated and what we have to see and hear around this pursuit of perfect is where our attention goes. So I do love the way that you've reframed this not to be an either or, but much rather a, an adjustment and a volume control on your ability to manage the pull to perfectionism, so to speak. You know, um, ever since the book, The Secret came out, many have asked me over the years, so tell me, Tal, what is your secret to happiness? I always respond by saying, come on, I'm an academic. I'm not, you know, some self-help new age writer. Uh, there's no secret to happiness. There are three secrets to happiness. And I will share them with you now, Margie, and with our listeners. So the first secret to happiness is reality. The second secret to happiness is reality. Do you want to guess the third secret to happiness? Reality. 
when Jack Welch was asked after he was chosen as the CEO of the 20th century by Fortune magazine, he was asked in the interview, so what advice do you have for managers? His answer was learn to face reality. Reality is important for leadership. Reality is important for happiness. So when I talk about being a benefit finder, when I talk about appreciation, I'm certainly not talking about detached Pollyannish optimism. I'm talking about looking at what is working in the world and looking at what is not working in the world. I'm talking about struggling and even suffering as a result of failure and learning from it and growing from it. So it's about reality, 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 the ups and the downs, the difficulties, the hardships and the overcoming of them, you know, the joy and the sorrow. Is that why you encourage your students to fail? It's exactly right. You know, when I, when, when I start my lecture on perfectionism, I always started by saying, I hope, my hope from this lecture, and I always have objectives when I, when I give lectures, my objective in this lecture is that you fail more. And not only that you fail more, that you learn to embrace those failures. I'm not saying enjoy them because failures almost by definition are painful, but to learn to embrace them, to appreciate them. Why? Because uh, all the research that we know of in organizational psychology, if we look at artists and scientists, the most successful ones in the different domains, in different areas, were also the ones who failed the most times. So the mantra that I repeat over and over again to my students, to myself, to my kids, to my clients is learn to fail or fail to learn. And the more often we can fail and then learn from that failure, the more likely we are to rise. And that applies to healthy relationships and that applies to management and leadership and it applies to sports and it applies to art, to literally every domain. What brilliant words to finish this podcast with. I want to thank you so much for your time and your insights today. It's just been an absolute pleasure. There's so much more for people to read and to explore in your work. But today I've just really enjoyed this conversation to explore your views and to share your views on the pursuit of perfect and how we can be a bit happier by viewing it differently and being aware and making some different choices. So I really want to thank you. Thank you, Margie. Thank you very much. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.